Okay, so friends, today we are continuing in our series through the book of Proverbs, which is um, one of the wisdom literatures in the Old Testament, and we're currently in the third section of chapter one, okay? And so far, if you've been with us, Solomon has been quite gentle and even-toned in um, in, in the way he's been teaching us, right? He's been explaining to us what wisdom is, how to get it, why it's important, why, why you need to have a community around you, all, all that kind of stuff. But what you'll notice here in our passage today is that all of a sudden, he switches tones. When we read the passage, you'll see that wisdom here is no longer a kind instructor instructing a student. He's no longer um, a, a gentle father instructing a son. What you'll see, uh, that wisdom here is a lady who's laughing at the consequences of our foolishness different personification, different tone. So, for example, if we decide to drink and drive, okay, don't do it, but if we foolishly decide to do it and we hit an electricity pole and we break an arm and we gotta pay an embarrassing 100 million rupiah for damages and hospitalization, the physical and financial cost that you had to bear for that mistake, that's lady wisdom laughing. That's kind of the feel here. And it's like, that's so mean. <laughs> yes, it is, it is harsh, but the fool, and now here, here, here's how you can tell whether or not you're a fool, Solomon says in our passage. The fool will hear Lady Wisdom laugh and they'll close their ears to it. They don't wanna, they don't wanna hear it. Why? Because they think that she's mocking them. But the wise, Solomon says, will hear Lady Wisdom's laugh and they'll receive it as fair warning. (laughs) The fool hates their shameful consequences. The wise is humble enough to learn from it. But if that's the case, how many of us here can say that they're actually naturally, instinctively wise? Like who here, you know, messes up, makes a foolish mistake, experience the shameful consequence of their foolish mistake, and their first knee-jerk reaction is, touche wisdom. That's fair. (laughs) Who does that? I don't. You know what I say? I say, who put the electricity pole there in the first place? uh, We're not naturally wise, are we? And it's hard to experience the consequences of our mistakes And that instead of villainizing the whole world for it, admit to our part in it. But Solomon here is warning us that if we don't start doing that, if we don't start admitting to our mistakes, the path of denial will take us down roads so windy, you'll end up getting suffocatingly lost. And our passage today is helpful because it describes someone who's currently traveling down that road. And since the people who are walking down denial's path is often in denial about it, this passage is helpful because it could be a warning sign of sorts, revealing to us that we might actually be currently on that road, okay? So let this be a sober warning for us all who every now and then find ourselves dabbling down the road of denial. This is God's word, taken from Proverbs chapter one, verse 20 to 33. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. 
At the end of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I've called and you refuse to listen. I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you've ignored all my counsel. I would have none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and, and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Thus says the Lord. Okay. Here are four warning signs from this passage that'll help us see whether or not we're currently walking down denial's path. First, those traveling down this road will find the universality of wisdom obnoxious. Second, they'll find the need for wisdom too late. Third, they'll deny the source of wisdom as personal. And lastly, they'll enjoy the counterfeits of wisdom at best. Okay, we'll, we'll get through them as we go by, so don't worry about writing every single one now. But let's start at the first point. If you're walking down denial's path, you will find the universality of wisdom obnoxious. What do I mean by that? Well, let's, let's start the passage here um, in verse one, where we see, um, sorry, in verse, in verse 20, where we see that wisdom here is described as crying out to us, where? In all of these public places, right? She's crying out, in the street, she's crying out in the marketplace, she's crying out in the city gates. Now contrast this to how wisdom was described in our passage last week in verse eight. You remember that wisdom there was personified not as crying out in these public places, but wisdom was a father passing down lessons to a son in a domestic setting, in the privacy of their own home. Last week, wisdom was a household matter, and this week, it's all up in your face publicly. What Solomon's trying to say here is he's trying to say that wisdom or truth isn't just a subjective matter for the privacy of one's own home. It's a public matter. It's a universal entity. There's an objectivity about wisdom and truth that makes it active behind all of these public activities that you find in these places, activities such as commerce, Right, the marketplace is obviously where a lot of business and a lot of trade happens. And think about it, what makes commerce possible? Commerce is possible because one plus one equals two is universally true for both me and for you. That's why we can trade. That's why we can do business. Because the universal logic and math of these things are true. How do you do fair trade with someone who thinks that one plus one equals five? You can't, you can swindle a lot of money out of them, 
but you can't do fair business. The universal nature of wisdom is useful for trade. It's also useful for human flourishing. Now, this may not be immediately obvious, but the city gates at the time were very well known as places of prostitution. So much so that the commentaries I consulted generally agree that wisdom's cry here before the, the city gates implies a warning for those who are about to enter to not fall into that trap. Why not? Because it's also universally true that a human being is too precious of a thing to be sold and bought for silver and gold. That, that's an objective truth, a universal truth that everyone should submit to. You know how much pain and suffering humanity would have been saved if everyone just submitted to that universal truth? Universal truth of, of wisdom and, and uh, the nature of wisdom here is not only useful for trade, it's also useful for human flourishing. And lastly, perhaps implied by Solomon here, is that the universal nature of wisdom is also useful for governing whole societies. See, marketplaces back then were only places where people did business. There are also these centers where lawmakers and philosophers would kind of debate about public policies and laws and regulations. Wisdom's universality is active there as well, Solomon's saying. Because how do you argue about laws and, and public policies if we all didn't at least agree universally to concepts like justice? That justice is an objective thing we all must submit to, not a subjective private matter everyone gets to choose whether to believe in or not. Then we can talk about law, you see. Now, okay, did Solomon have these three exact things in mind when he mentioned the market, the street, and the city gates? I, I think so, many other people do, but you know, you can't be 100% sure. However, the point here stands that there is a universal objective nature about wisdom and truth that exist, meaning the phrase, well, that's my truth. That phrase has limits. You, you can't just say that one plus one equals five is my truth. You can't just say that um, human beings can be bought and sold for money is, is my truth. You can't say that justice isn't a real thing is my truth. There's limits to it. And, and notice how wisdom here, she didn't, doesn't really care about having an audience. You notice that? She's shouting, she's crying, she's screaming, and no one's listening. <laughs> you know why that is? Because some things are true regardless of people's opinions. How loud her truth is doesn't depend on how, how big her audience is. Now, let me, let me push in a little bit more, okay? And I promise you it's with good intent. Maybe a good test is that if you heard me say just now that your truth might not be true, if you found those words to be obnoxious, if you feel like I'm all up in your face with that, hopefully you realize that I haven't raised my voice at all throughout the sermon. I'm not, I'm not crying out, you know, I'm not screaming. But if you still feel like that, I think what Solomon's saying here, 
that might be Lady Wisdom's voice you're hearing, not mine. She shouts, she pleads, she scolds, she threatens, she warns, she laughs. She will not be a gentle persuader, commentary said, when it comes to getting you off the road of denial. How long, O simple ones, she says in verse 22, will you love being simple? How long will you love walking down that road? By the way, it's interesting, isn't it, that Lady Wisdom here used an emotional phrase, love, to explain our attachment to the, to the path of denial. Why is that? Why did she choose an emotional language? Why didn't she say, how long with simple ones will you decide to be simple? But rather, love being simple. What, what about the road of denial that attracts our hearts so much? Well, because this road, it gives us a sense of security, doesn't it? Look, if everyone gets to decide their own truth, then no one needs to, to experience the shame of being wrong, you see? Because then right and wrong would just be relative anyways. You know what the best way is to avoid the shame of missing the bullseye? What is it? You move the bullseye. And that's why sometimes I find myself walking down this road as well. I'm a frequent visitor down denial's path. It's too alluring. It's too, it's too good, you know? It's, it's guaranteeing me rest from shame. And sometimes, let me tell you, sometimes just to feel a moment's peace, I would often be willing to trade reality for it. And I know you know how that feels like. And Lady Wisdom is warning people like me, she's warning people like you, that if we keep trading reality for fake peace, if we keep moving the bullseye just to avoid feeling shame, you will never get off denial's path. And here's how you know you're in way too deep, okay? You'll not only begin to ignore wisdom's cry, you'll start making fun of it. Look at verse 22. The scoffers will delight in their scoffing. You will no longer just ignore the fact that truth and wisdom is objective and universal. You're gonna start making fun of people who do believe in it. You're gonna call them closed-minded. You're gonna say they're uneducated and they're old school. If you find yourself wanting to mock that, Solomon's saying here that that might be a warning sign you're pretty far down denial's path. And, and be careful that you don't get to a point of no return. He's just for a second point. Those who walk down the path of denial, they usually don't feel the need for wisdom till it's too late. Okay, let's continue the passage. If you keep refusing to listen to my call and to my counsel, uh, wisdom continues in verse 24 and 25. She says, then at some point, I'm gonna have no choice but to start laughing at you. <laughs> uh, I'll laugh at your calamity, I'll mock when terror strikes, but that's so mean. That's so mean of her. It is. But maybe she'd rather you be mad at her than keep walking down that road. And this is the difference. This is not mocking, like pure mocking, by the way, because a mocker, a mocker would laugh at you 
with vicious intent, and a mocker would laugh at you in a way that's louder than you deserve. Lady Wisdom here is not laughing at you with vicious intent. This is a last ditch attempt to get you off that road. She's gonna be as creative as she can. She's gonna exhaust all the resources she has to get you off that road. This is not vicious intent. This is loving warning. And number two, she's not, she will never laugh at you with a volume that's louder than you deserve. Okay, that's the whole point here um, of verse 22. Look at the contrast and, and verse 26. Look at the contrast between verse 22 and verse 26. You mock her, she'll laugh at you. It's quid pro quo. Wisdom's always fair. Just as the thief can't blame the cop for getting caught, uh, just like the drug addict, can't blame biology for being addicted. Neither can the fool blame Lady Wisdom for laughing. It's not a vicious act of vengeance. It's a fair warning of how far down denial's path you might be. See, in, in, in the ocean, travel distance um, is seen by how small the land looks, right? In a forest, the indication of travel distance is how many trees begin to cover the sun. Down the path of denial, the indication of travel distance is how embarrassing the consequences are. Her laughter are warning signs. For now, for now they are, but if you keep ignoring them, there will come a point, she continues in verse 27 and 28, there will come a point where her laughter will no longer be fair warning, but just punishment. You keep going down this road, she says, terror will strike you like a storm and calamity like a whirlwind. That's what verse 27 says. An interesting play on words here, the Hebrew word for the word whirlwind is the same root Hebrew word for the word ending. At some sudden point, like an unexpected storm, if you keep ignoring her, a whirlwind will turn everything you have and you know upside down and it will truly be the end for you. Stop walking down Denial's path while my laughter still sound like warnings, she says. Because at some point, they're going to start to sound like justice. And how will you know that the laughter you hear is starting to begin to sound like justice and not warning? You'll experience distress, Ladyism says in verse 27. Now, the Hebrew word for distress here specifically refers to the kind of distress that one would feel when they're claustrophobic. You know, talking about when you're in a tiny room and you're suffocated, you can't even move, you can't even breathe. Like when you go down the elevator later and you're stuck with a bunch of people, remember that feeling. It's possible, Solomon's saying here, to walk down Denial's path so far, so long, to where you find yourself out of options. Your money can't save you. Your connections can't save you. You will look up 
and you will call for wisdom and you'll seek her diligently, verse 28 says. But it's too late. At this point, you won't hear a thing. At this point, you wish you still heard her laughing because that laughter would be better than the silent hopelessness you currently feel. I told you, Solomon switched tones. <laughs> Don't blame me. He's, he's picking up the heat. And to add pain to injury, what you'll see when you look up at this point, when wisdom's silent, is, is the scary realization that this whole time, the one who's been giving you these warning signs is who? Look at verse 29. It's the Lord. Which is just our third point. Those walking down denial's path deny that the source of wisdom is a personal being. It's probably the scariest part about what we need to admit. This whole time, Solomon has masked wisdom as an impersonal entity, right? She's objective truth crying out to us. She's natural consequences warning us. But near the end of, of our passage here in verse 29, Solomon takes off wisdom's mask and reveals to us that the one who's been crying out this whole time is who? It's God himself. It's been him this whole time, not it. And suddenly it all clicks, doesn't it? It all clicks that logical concepts like one plus one equaling two or universal concepts like the innate value and worth of, of, of human nature or ethical concepts like justice and objective morality and universal right and wrong, none of those objective universal truths would carry any weight to them if it didn't come from a transcendent source. Think, think with me, okay? If mankind merely imagined these things into being, then they wouldn't be real. They would be merely pigments of our own imagination, and therefore, there's no real reason for us to submit to them, but rather them to us. The only way concepts like logic, universal human worth and value, objective justice, true morality, right and wrong, the only way any of these things could carry any weight at all is if these concepts existed beyond us. Is if these concepts remain true whether or not anyone's listening to her screams. Is if these concepts weren't things we created but discovered. Then we can say, then we can say that those things actually have real authority to them then we can say that they have real power over us. Then can it not submit to us, but rather us to it. Or as Solomon here reveals in verse 29, us to him. Look, have you ever done something that you thought at the time was right, okay? And then you look back and you go, my bad, <laughs> that was wrong. I made a mistake. Surely everyone here has done that. I have. You know what we just did there when we did that? What we did is we just admitted to the fact that right and wrong transcends us. 
Okay, so then where did it come from? It came from my parents' teachings. All right, fair enough. But have you ever felt like your parents did something wrong? Have you ever felt like your culture did something wrong? Have you ever felt like your world did something wrong? Surely you have. So then, if right and wrong transcends us, our families, our cultures, our world, then where did it come from? You can't big bang ethics into being. Where did it come from? I'll tell you where it came from, Solomon says in verse 29. It came from the Lord. It came from the Lord. And this is why it's so hard for us to get off of a denial's path. And I know you know, because I know. Is because deep, deep, deep inside, the subconscious of every human soul, we all know that the one we've been ignoring this whole time wasn't just a concept called wisdom. It's a, he's a being called God. We know that, but who wants to admit that, right? The fact that we've actually been offending God our whole lives, no one wants to admit that. So what do we do? We suppress the truth. We suppress it. This is what Paul meant in Romans chapter one, verse 18, 22. Paul's words here are so aligned to Solomon that I gotta read it out, and it's gonna be on the screen behind me. That's what Paul said. Tell me if you hear echoes of Solomon. Paul said, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their own unrighteousness, what? Suppress the truth. You know the truth. You suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became what? Futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. It's suppressing it. Admitting to the fact that we've missed the bullseye our whole lives, that's hard enough. But admitting to the fact that that's been God we've ignored our whole lives, that's too much. That's unbearable. I don't even wanna think about that possibility. Why? Because it's, it's, it's too painful. So what do we do? We suppress all warning signs. We ignore all the warning signs. We blame the world. We don't admit a mistake because we want peace. Which leads us to our last point. You might get it, but fools will be able to enjoy the counterfeits of wisdom at best. Let's go on to our last point. Does continual suppression of God's existence offer us some kind of peace? Of course it does. But it's an ignorant kind of peace, Solomon ends in verse 32. It's a sort of complacency, he says, that ignores and turns away from the fact that death and destruction really is coming. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroy them. I'm curious, who here, you don't have to raise your hands, but who here 
is currently avoiding a person or a heavy conversation that they know they're supposed to have, but they just, you, do, you just don't want to have it. You know what I'm talking about? Just smile, you know. Could be a sibling, could be a friend, could be a parent, could be a child, could be a coworker, or it could be just that guy whose call you've missed three times, but now it's too late to call back, so it's awkward, so you just don't call him back. You know what I'm talking about. You're just avoiding it. We all know that what that feels. Do you remember how sweet it felt when the busyness of our life distracted us from that conversation? <laughs> you just forget you have to have it because you're busy. It feels so nice, doesn't it? Feels so good. Forgetfulness is sweet. Remember the dread you felt when someone like me reminded you to have that conversation and go back to that person? I, for one, want to avoid that dread and I want to hang on to that peace. This is exactly what Solomon's calling the complacency of fools. It's peace, I feel, but the problem isn't solved. It's an ignorant sort of peace. It's fake peace. And depending on how, who the person is and how urgent the matter is, the consequences of delay could be devastating. When you experience a consequence of a mistake, when you feel an embarrassing moment from a foolish decision, you know what that is? Solomon's saying here that that's God that's the Lord inviting you to revisit a conversation you've been needing to have with him. And we dread it, so we don't pick up. We continue delaying and denying, but if you pick up, meaning, practically, if you take it seriously to where you would, you would go to him in prayer about it, you would, you would talk about that foolish decision to another mature fellow Christian about it, you would seek God's word for instruction about it, if you do any of that, Solomon ends here in verse 33, you won't end up dreading the conversation as much as you think you would. It's not gonna be that bad. Whoever listens to God, he says in verse 33, will actually dwell secure. They'll be at ease, not because of a denial of disaster, but because ultimately they've escaped the dread of disaster, Solomon ends here, our passage here today with. When you, pick up the, when you pick up God's call, when you hear it ring, you talk to him, you won't hear him mocking you and screaming at you from the other end of the line. You'll see that you've escaped the dread of disaster, hopefully, but how can that be? Tez, do you know how many foolish things I've done in my life? Do you realize how many mistakes I've committed, how many times I've denied it? If you just knew how long I've been ignoring God I'm not quite sure I've ever listened to him. If you just knew, Tez, then the second I pick up, he will for sure scream my head off from the other end of the line. Well, here's my encouragement to you. Give it a try. Go pick up. Not an imaginary phone. The Bible. Go pick it up. That's how God speaks to us today, right? Look at his word pick up and see what it is he has to say to those who are poor in spirit. Pick up and see what it is he has to say to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Pick up and see what he has to say 
to those who can't believe just how stupid they are. Pick up. Let me tell you what he'll say. He'll say this. He'll say, well, not many of you were wise to begin with anyways. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31, by the way. Not many of you were wise to begin with. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you, foolish ones, me, foolish one, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what he'll say to fearful fools who've ignored him for so long. Just pick up. You won't hear someone screaming your head off at the end of the line if you come with him with the spirit of humility and poverty of soul and hunger for righteousness, knowing that you need an external source of it. You won't hear him scream your head off because you'll see that all those screams have already been placed on someone else. Christ on the cross took on all the shame and shouts you and I deserve. He never walked down denial's path, but yet at the end of his life, he looked up to wisdom itself, and wisdom did not answer. Wisdom stayed silent to him. Why? So that he'll always answer you. Would you pick up? What you hear isn't an angry judge. What you'll hear is a crucified savior saying, be at ease there is no more dread of disaster. I've already taken the whirlwind upon myself, and now, all these consequences I'm throwing your way, I'm not doing it because I hate you. I'm doing it because I love you. See, some of us here have ignored him for so long, you've forgotten who's at the other end of the line. Pick up, read, listen, obey, repent, turn back and get off that road before it's too late. Let's pray. Father, we are a stiff-necked people. We are fools, but that's who you came for. You came for people who want to be the source of truth. You came to people who want to claim what's right and wrong for themselves, which is exactly the first fall that our forefathers fell into. They wanted to eat the fruit of knowing what's right and what's wrong. 
Help us, Father, realize the fact that we've missed the bullseye our whole lives. Oh, so far. But then don't leave us in that fear. Don't leave us walking down um, the counterfeit piece of denying the fact that there is a bullseye we've missed. Give us the courage to face it head on and then find a peace through that of a crucified Savior who died for us so that when now you, Father, look at every single one of your foolish children, all you see is him, his righteousness, his credit, his holiness, and his wisdom that we do not deserve. Thank you, Father. Make wise people out of us. Through Christ and him alone, we pray.